Happy Chuseok, everyone. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, Happy Chuseok, give them a high five, show them some love. <laughs> yeah. I see that we have a lot of visitors from Seoul. Itaewon and, and Hillside. Hillside, Hillside too. <laughs> it's like a joint service right here. <laughs> Um, yeah, so last week we came back from the leadership retreat. It was really amazing. Um, and Pastor Caleb, when he came back, you know, he was really tired, but he still preached with so much power and authority. Um, and he preached on having the spirit of David. And if you guys remember, he was talking about how David had the spirit of a worshiping warrior. And it was kind of funny because in my personal devotions, I've actually been going through 1 Samuel. And so even this week, I was reading the story of David and Goliath. And we all know this story <laughs> from Sunday school, right? Um, but man, like, I was reading it, and I was getting really blessed all over again. I was like, David is so, like, he's so moshiso, you know? Like, there's no English word for moshiso, but it's like, you know, there's something so attractive about him. Um, I'm sure, you know, that'll change when it gets to the Bathsheba story, but... I mean, for now, at least, he is just as bold as a lion. You know, he's fearless in the full faith that he has in God. Um, and even as a young shepherd boy, he really understands the power of his testimony. You know, he knows that God, you know, the God who he struck down the lion and the bear with will also help him to overcome Goliath. You know, just like Pastor Caleb was preaching last Sunday. Um, but actually, you know, during this time, it was King Saul who was the king of Israel. But as you guys know, King Saul committed, you know, disobedience. He, he sinned against the Lord. And so God's favor was removed from him. And God sought out a man after his own heart. And that man was called David. And so God sends his prophet Samuel to, you know, Jesse's house. Jesse is the father of David. And he goes there and he anoints David as king. And so David is this shepherd boy. You know, he's hidden. He's in the hidden place. And all of a sudden, he realizes that his destiny is to be the king of Israel. But, you know, did you guys know that he, you know, from the time that he was anointed as king to the time that he actually became king, there was a 20-year gap, 15 to 20-year gap. And those 15 to 20 years, it wasn't time when he was, like, chilling in the fields, you know, with his sheep and, like, just, you know, staying home with his family, you know, aging well, right, till he gets on the throne. But he was... He was going through 20 years of opposition. There was opposition all around him. King Saul was chasing after him, you know, trying to kill him. But not only that, not only did David face a physical opposition, but he faced an opposition that came through the words, the thoughts, the beliefs, the mindsets of people around him. It was the voices that were opposing him. And some of you, you know, you may never face physical opposition. Let's be real, right? You're not... I mean, not many people are going to come after and try to kill you, but you will face opposition from the voices that are around you. You know, people who will try to oppose you with their words and their mindsets and their thoughts. And so today I'm just going to talk about the different voices that oppose your destiny and how you can overcome it. Amen. <laughs> okay, uh, we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 17. So if you can all turn there. I'm going to take you through 1 Samuel chapter 17, so 
even after we read this portion, please just you know, keep your Bibles open to that part. Um, turn to 1 Samuel 17, verse 24. Uh, to give you the context of this passage that we're going to read, um, the Philistine army was on one mountain, and the Israel, Israelites were on the other mountain, and there was a valley in between. And so they were you know, fighting, they were in this war, and this giant Philistine warrior called Goliath, you know, he comes out and he takes a stand against the army of Israel, and he cries out to them, he says, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And this continues on for 40 days. Every morning, every evening, he comes out saying the same thing, defying the armies of Israel. And the Israelites are just trembling in fear. So we're going to pick up from verse 24. Okay. So I will read the first verse, and then we will alternate till verse 28. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. This man they are talking about is Goliath. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for this man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Now Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. Oh, no, that's the end. Thank you, though. <laughs> so Eliab is David's oldest brother. And here we read of how, you know, he just started to accuse David with all these accusations. And we don't really know what the context of their relationship was like. You know, maybe... They, you know, they didn't really hang out much growing up together and they were not on good terms. Or maybe Eliab was jealous of David. We don't really know. But we do see that Eliab's anger was kindled against David and he accuses David of an evil heart and a presumptuous spirit. But as readers, you know, because we know the whole story, we know that David is innocent, right? And in fact, the Bible tells us that David's intentions, it wasn't to see the battle, but Jesse, his father, has sent him to the battlefield and said, hey, why don't you take some loaves, you know, some grain, and also check up on how your brothers are doing. So him being the obedient son, he's like, okay, and he goes, and then he sees, you know, the state that the Israelite army is in. And another thing is that David was actually, by this time, he was already in Saul's service because Saul was being tormented by this evil spirit, and so he needed somebody to play some music for him. And so David was doing, you know, the little harp action. And, you know, he was playing the harp for Saul. And Saul, you know, Saul really loved him. So in verse 15, it says that David was going back and forth from Saul to feeding his father's sheep at Bethlehem. So he was doing this, you know, double duty. And so David was not, you know, he wasn't doing anything that Eliab was accusing 
him of. In fact, he was only showing faithfulness and obedience. And so this first voice of Eliab that we hear opposing David's destiny is the voice, a voice of familiarity. It's a hard word to say. (laughs) This is the voice of opposition that comes from those that you are most familiar with, your family members, your closest friends, those who claim to know you the best, right? I just heard this, yeah, because I know some of you know what I'm talking about. Um, In fact, you know, when we came down to Busan to church plan, um, my roommate Anna and I were talking about this, how, you know, we were talking about different people's reactions, different people not from, you know, our church. And they were like, wait, you're going, where are you going all the way down to Busan? Like, seriously, you're leaving everything and you're just going down to Busan? And I'll be like, yeah. And they'll be like, is the church paying you? (laughs) You know, are they like paying for your moving fee at least? (laughs) And I was like, no. And they they looked at me like this, what is wrong with you? You know, they gave me the look like I'm crazy. Um, and another thing is, you know, in other cultures, I don't know about other cultures, but in Korean culture, you know, when you get together for chuseok or like family occasions, you know, the relatives, they start talking about each, like their, their kids, like the parents start talking about their kids. This happens in my family. I don't know about other Korean families, but, um, like, my, you know, my aunt, she would be like, yeah, my daughter, she got into Columbia grad school. You know, she met this really nice young man there, and they're getting married soon, you know? And they'll, talk, they'll be, like, asking my mom, like, so how's Lydia doing? And, I'll be, and then my mom, my poor mom, she'll be like, oh, she's in Busan. She's teaching, yeah. And uh, she's, <laughs> she's, um, she's doing ministry. And my mom told me that there was silence. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, people's reactions, they all differ, right? And especially the people who are most familiar with you, you know, they, they, they may not really understand you. And, you know, like, they may ask you, like, what, you, why are you going to, why are you going on missions? You know, why are you fasting for 21 days? Like, do you really think you can make a difference? You know, get a life. Like, do something with your education, right? You have a master's degree. Do something with that. But, You know, brothers and sisters, this is the voice of familiarity that comes to oppose your destiny. You see, David, when he went against Goliath, you know, we think, oh, it's just one battle against one man. But this battle had more significance than just one battle against one man. You know, David was at the brink of a key stepping stone toward his destiny. You know, this battle that he fought against Goliath after his victory, what happened was, you know, from being a little shepherd boy hidden in this, in the field, he was brought into the forefront of Israel's attention. And, you know, after this happened, it was Jonathan, the, the son of Saul, who stripped himself of his robe, his sword, and his bow, and then he gave it to David. And it was after this victory that Saul sets him over the men, you know, the men of war, and he sends him into battle. And, you know, he comes back victorious, of course, right? And the women are singing, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. So what this means is that Goliath was David's transition from being a shepherd boy worshiping in the fields to becoming a warrior worshiping in battle. And at the door of this key event, the voice of familiarity tries to stop him from even going out to fight. You know, the voice of familiarity will try to stop you even before you pick up your sword or your slingshot, you know? 
And in fact, the voice of familiarity, it doesn't, even, it doesn't just try to stop you. It accuses you and says, your motives are wrong. Your intentions are wrong. Your heart is wrong. You know? And you're, they say, I bet you're doing it for all the wrong reasons. You, why are you fasting for 21 days? I bet your heart reasons are all wrong. And so what happens is it makes you even doubt yourself. You know? It makes you even doubt you know, what you're doing, what God has placed upon your heart. And so it makes you start thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't go to missions. You know, maybe I should just stay for the summer and just, you know, take that extra tutoring job and just earn some mo- more money. Yeah, and, you know, even Jesus dealt with the voice of familiarity. Um, you guys know that Jesus ministered with signs and wonders. Wherever he went, there was miracles. You know, he raised the dead. He cast out demons. You know, wherever he went, signs and wonders showed up. And then he comes to his hometown of Nazareth, and there was nothing, no manifestation of God's power. And some scholars believe that the reason for this is because the people of Nazareth knew who he was. They knew him as the carpenter. You know, they knew him as a carpenter's son. So they were like, what, Jesus? Like, that carpenter? He heals the sick? He casts out demons? He preaches and teaches the word? And the familiarity that they had about, about him or of him bred contempt in their heart. And it blocked them from seeing any kind of supernatural sign or wonder. And even his own family, in Mark chapter 3, it says that his family went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. They were saying, basically, Jesus is crazy, you know? Jesus, like, what are you doing? Why are you appointing disciples? Why are you calling yourself the Lord of the Sabbath? Why are you going around healing the sick? You are out of your mind. And so Jesus replies with this one statement. He says, a prophet has no honor in his hometown. And brothers and sisters, many of you had no honor in your hometown. And so what did God do? He took you out of your hometown. He removed you from that place. He took you out of your familiar culture your family, your church, and he brought you to this country that you had never heard of before. (laughs) You know, you probably couldn't have pointed out on a map if, you know, somebody asked you before. And he brought you to this place. Because in your hometown, you were Anthony so-and-so. You know, Kelly so-and-so. But God removes you from that place, and he brings you to this land, this new land called Korea, and to this new church called New Philadelphia, and God is saying, I'm removing that voice of familiarity, and I'm calling you into your destiny. But you know, of course, your family and your friends, they're not like intentionally trying to oppose your destiny. <laughs> Got to give them credit, right? Um, in fact, they think that they are giving you sound advice, you know? Um, because they know you very well. They know your gifts. They know your talents. You know, they know what, you're, you know, what you've gone through. And, and for the Koreans, they know what's best for the family, too. And, you know, even my family, they're like, Lydia, you should, you know, you should go to America and get a doctoral degree. You know, you're smart. Like, don't, you know, don't waste your talents and all these kind of things. Um, and they're very assertive. You know, my parents are very assertive. And a lot of times, you know, these people are very assertive because of the good intentions. Because they, they think that they're keeping you from ruining your life. But, you know, as a people of God, we need to discern the voice of God and the will of God, the perfect will of God. 
And so when the voice of familiarity speaks, what do we do? Um, let's look at verse 29. David says, and David, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? You see, when you answer the voice of familiarity, you need to keep it short. You know, you don't need to hold a conversation with that voice. You don't need to debate with that voice. You know, keep your answer short. Some of us, you know, when people start to oppose us, we feel like, oh, I got to persuade them. No, I got to convince them. So we go on this mission of trying to convince all the opposing voices of why this is the perfect will of God in our lives. But, you know, we, we, and not only that, but we feel like we need to persuade them now, right? Now, like now they need to understand me now. But brothers and sisters, sometimes it is the wisdom of God to have those voices around you and make you feel like you're going crazy while everyone else has a good head on their shoulders. And the reason why I say it's the wisdom of God is because God ordains it this way so that he can strengthen your sense of call through the process of overcoming the voices coming against you. You know, if, you're, if the path leading up to your call and destiny is like a well-paved road, you know, once you get into your destiny and your calling and and the opposition comes against you, guess what you're going to do? You're going to be like, oh, maybe this wasn't for me. And you're going to back out of that. And, you know, abandoning, abandoning your calling is not an option, though. And so when God takes you through all these obstacles, and then he supernaturally brings you into your destiny and your calling, then no matter what the opposition is, while you are walking out that calling, you will not abandon your calling. And so it's not your responsibility to convince your family. It's not your responsibility to convince your friends of your God-given destiny. And the second thing that David does to address the voice of familiarity, the next verse, he says, it says, And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. You know, when the voice of familiarity opposes you, First, you give a short answer, and then sometimes you just have to turn away. You know, and be gracious, of course, <laughs> but sometimes you just have to turn away. And it's not your responsibility to answer everyone's concerns, to answer everyone's emails, to respond to all of their advice, even though, even though they are given with great intentions. And sometimes you just have to turn to those who are open to you those who are willing to receive you. Because as you can see, the rest of the army were willing to talk to David. They were listening to him. They were responding to him. And so David turns away from Eliab, and he turns toward those who listened to him. Those who, in spite of his youth, were celebrating him. Okay. Now to the second voice that opposes your destiny. Let's read... Um, 1 Samuel chapter 17, 31 to 33. I'll just read it, actually. You guys can follow along. When the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. 
Now, the next voice that opposes your destiny is the voice of discouragement. It's like, you can't become the next K-pop star. AJ, why are you trying to become the next star rapper of Korea? You know? AJ's not really, but, you know? <laughs> like, Jen, why are you, like, you can't become a successful businesswoman. You know, these are the opposing voices that come against you with discouragement. It says, don't even try. Don't you know where the, what the competition is like out there? Like, there's so many talented people out there. You should just give up now. David, you're too young. David, you're not a man of war. You see, the voice of discouragement often disguises itself as a voice of reason. It says, let's be realistic here. No, you don't have connections. You don't have, no, you don't have any inroads into the entertainment industry. You're not that good looking. You know, and, and, they, and they say, I'm just being real, guys. I'm just being real, right? I'm just, I'm just speaking common sense to you. But brothers and sisters, God's call is never logical. It is never reasonable. You know, just like he commanded Abraham to count the stars, his commands are not logical. In fact, it defies logic and reason. God gives you God-sized dreams, not logical dreams. God gives you God-sized callings, not reasonable callings. You know, if your dreams and your callings are reasonable and logical, it might not be from him, or you just might need to get a bigger vision from the Lord. And the danger of having a reasonable dream, a logical dream, is that you can do it without God. You don't need to live a life of faith. You can just do it. It's your goal. You set it, and you go for it, and you achieve it. But every call that God gives you can only be accomplished through his supernatural power, through his anointing. And that's why in the word of God, it says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. And when you start to walk into your calling more and more, and your destiny, it's natural to hear the voice of reason opposing you. But as a people of God, our reason and our logic, it has to be on a higher level than the reason and the logic of the world and of the natural mind. Because there's a reasoning that comes by the spirit of God and the mind of God. And then there's a reasoning that comes from the flesh and, of, and from the world. But those are in opposition with each other, which is why a lot of times God offends our mind. And so as we walk into our calling, as we get deeper into the things of the spirit, you know, the voice of reason from the world is going to come against you with increased volume, increased intensity. And Satan will try to discourage you. That even before you go on the starting line and before you position yourself for the starting pistol to go off on the race that God has destined you to run, Satan is going to try to discourage you and try to make you disqualify yourself from the race before it even begins. Um, some of our Seaside members are actually going to run a marathon, right? And I think Mina just recently started to train. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, Somebody going to Mina being like, why don't you just give up? You didn't train hard enough, you know? You're just going to injure yourself. You know, why would you put yourself through that pain? Um, do something else. Do something less, you know, less challenging, right? So even before you take on what God has destined for you to tackle, Satan will try to deter you with the voice of discouragement. Oh, I'm getting hot up here. Whew, okay. So let's look at how David overcame the voice of discouragement. So look at verse 34 to 36. Oh, this is a good passage, so I want us to read it all together. 
this one and the next. This is 34. You guys there? Okay, ready? One, two, three. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. Amen. So how did David overcome this voice of discouragement? He overcame it through the power of his testimony. David had a history with the Lord. And not only that, but he, as a shepherd boy, he really cultivated his relationship with the Lord. And so he had a lot of stories to tell of God, how God had empowered him, of how God had aided him in, his, in the time of trouble. And, you know, the verse says, it says that, um, he's, he says, your servant has struck down both lions and bears. Okay, that means that it wasn't just one lion or one bear, but it was lions and bears. Okay, so it wasn't like he got lucky, you know. It wasn't like David was the Israelite Bruce Lee and he had this power to just, you know, somehow by chance just overcome this lion. He wasn't the gladiator, right? What's his name? Maximus, Decimus, something, right? <laughs> so it's not that, but how did he get this power to overcome the lions and the bears? You know, it came by the Spirit of God. And what, you know, what the Bible says is that when David became king and Samuel, sorry, when David was anointed to become king by Samuel, it says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him with power. And another man that this happened to was King Saul. When King Saul was anointed to become king, it says that the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him with power. But the life of David and the life of Saul is very different. It's drastically different. So, you know, how, why is there that difference? You see, for Saul, you know, God's Spirit rushed upon him, but he did nothing to cultivate his relationship with the Lord. The anointing came upon him, but he did not learn how to walk it out. You know, for him, it was just that one-time experience that you get at the retreat, right? You know, you get slain in the spirit, like, yes, God, I love you. You know, you're great, and then you go home and you do nothing about it. But for David, in the hidden place, he was continuously cultivating a relationship with the Lord. And so his anointing did not leave him. In fact, the testimonies that he had continued to multiply, and God continued to show up in supernatural power. So when Saul comes against him with this voice of discouragement, this voice of reason, David takes out his testimony, the power of his testimony, and he silences the voice of opposition. There is power in testimony. Amen? You know, when God gives you victory over a certain area, let's say depression... And you see a brother or sister struggling with the same thing. You're not going to be like, yeah, good luck with that. You know, I'll be praying for you on my own somewhere. You know, you're going to go up to that person because you know that God has given you the victory. And so you know that God can do the same for that person. So you're going to pray for that person with that faith. And where God has given you the victory, he's also given you a testimony 
And that testimony, it says in Revelations chapter 19, it becomes the spirit of prophecy. And what that means is that what God has done for you, you're able to release it as a prophetic word into another person's life. And even if you don't have a testimony in your own life, you know, if there's a lame man here, like, I'm not going to just be like, I'm sorry. Like, no lame man has walked after I prayed for, you know, that person. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, I'm going to be like, hey, guess what? On missions this year, the Indonesia team went out and a lame woman walked. You know, she went out walking from the service. Indonesia, right? Okay. And I'm going to be like, hey, let me just pray for you. Because I had this testimony that I know of. And here, you know, we're praying for the revival of Pusan. And on a larger scale, we're praying for the revival of this nation. But I really believe that we need the power of the testimony. And when we pray for revival, you know, I would encourage all of you to read up on the revivals that God has brought, you know, in the past. You know, in 1907, there was the Pyongyang Revival. And in this revival, thousands repented and turned to the Lord. And I read about this revival and about how Pyongyang, during that time, it was a city that was full of debauchery. It was known as a city of wine, women, and song. And there was even a training school for Korean geishas. But this city, do you know what it became after the revival? The name changed to Jerusalem of the East. You know, read about the Welsh revival that happened at about the same time where 150,000 people got saved and were added to the church of God. Now, read about the Azusa Street revival where the spirit of the Lord came with power and, you know, miracles broke out. And, you know, as we're praying and we're contending for revival in Pusa, revival in Itaon, you know, in Seoul and in, in, in in this nation, You know, we really need to tap into the power of the testimony. Not just our testimony, but the testimony of others. That's why the work of God is never to be filed away in a history book somewhere in the library. The work of God is still living and active just like the word of God. You know, it's how you tap into it that makes a difference. And you use it to silence the voice of discouragement. Hmm. Um, let's turn to 1 Samuel 17, 43. I would just read it. And the Philistines said to David, Am I a dog that you, can, that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Um, you know, before I was talking about the voice of familiarity and the voice of reason, and I think these two voices, it comes to you in a very innocent form. You know, it's kind of packaged well, right? But this voice, the third voice, is a voice of intimidation. And this voice, there's no package on it. <laughs> It's just like straight up, right, in your face, kind of attack. And as you get closer and closer to your destiny and to your breakthrough, Satan starts to panic. You know, he's like, man, I thought I could get her with the voice of reason. It didn't work. So, you know, as we continue to um, get closer to our destiny, Satan will, 
he will start to use straight up intimidation. And intimidation is never from the Lord. You know, fear is never from the Lord. The word of God says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Amen. And, you know, one of the best ways that you can see intimidation in the works is watching Korean dramas. <clears throat> or, or, just, or just, if you're from a Korean family, you know what I'm talking about usually. <laughs> um, it's like, it's like um, Mina, why are you trying to marry that man? <laughs> you know, and like examples of intimidation is like so, it's, it's so like common in Korean families. And uh, one of the most common threats in Korean families is... Um, I'm going to disown you. Like, I'm going to, like, literally, it's like, I'm going to, like, dig you out of the family registry, right? Hojok is a in Korean. So, there's this, like, intimidation that's happening. Um, and, you know, Mina, Pastor Mina and Pastor Caleb, like, they went through their things in, in order to get married. Um, and if Mina had stopped at that time and not had, and not had stood her ground, you know, she would not have come to Busan as a lay pastor, probably, most likely. And, you know, you see the voice of intimidation. It tries to stop us from really stepping into our promised land and into our destiny. It's like Satan's last push, right? And this is when you need to stand against the devil, when you need to stand firm and not back down. And here's how you overcome it, okay? Let's read verse 45 best line one of the best lines of the bible or best verses it's like if you need an adrenaline rush you could just read this let's read it together okay ready one two three then david said to the philistine you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin but i come to you in the name of the lord of hosts the god of the armies of israel whom you have defied amen so how did David overcome the voice of intimidation? It was through decreeing and declaring in the name of the Lord with faith. Job chapter 22, 28, this is a good verse to know. It says, you shall decree a thing and it shall be established. And there's no sign that David had received this prophetic word before he, you know, said this to Goliath that, you know, it wasn't like God said, yes, you will defeat this giant. You know, I will give you success. But he stepped out in faith. And he decreed and declared in faith what he wanted to see. You know, there is a power in decreeing. You know, whether you are wicked or whether you are righteous, your words are powerful. Did you know that? Your words carry creative power. And death and life, as it says in the word of God, death and life are in the power of the tongue. So when Kim Il-sung, the, the father of North Korea, um, you know, when he decreed that he was to be this figure for his people, that decree went out and then the oppression started and is continuing to this day, 60, 70 years. And if the decree of the wicked can exert such power and influence for such a long time, you know, the righteous people of God need to rise up in their authority and start to decree, you know, the things of God, the plans of God, the kingdom of God upon this earth. You know, at Seaside, we at Seaside, it feels funny because when I say Seaside, I see all these soul faces. <laughs> like when I was writing this 
um, sermon, I was like, man, I'm a little confused about my audience. Like, I know that a lot of seaside people will leave, and a lot of soul people are coming. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, I was trying to, yeah, determine my audience in my mind. But, but at seaside, you know, we need to learn to decree and declare hope, life, restoration over Busan. And believe that your words carry power. So when you pray, you're not praying like, God, please do this for us. You know, God, please, like, you know, help the people of Busan. But you're saying, no, God, I decree and declare that you will come, you know, with your manifest presence upon this land and bring kingdom revival upon this land. Because your decreeing and your declaring has power in the spirit. You may not see it in natural right away, but in the spirit, it's already been established. Because you have the authority to establish it. And you don't stop when you don't see anything. But you persist like the persistent widow persisted. You persist like she did. You continue to pray. You continue to decree and declare till your experiences match up with the, with the word of God, with the truth of God and the kingdom of God. So the three voices that oppose your destiny... The voice of familiarity, the voice of discouragement, and the voice of intimidation. And even as you silence these voices, you cannot end there. Because although you may silence the voices, if you do not know how to tune your ears into the voice of God, you will be left with no clarity. You will just be confused. So you have to become familiar with the voice of God. And some of us, we kind of doubt, like, I don't know if I can hear God's voice. But it says in the word that, you know, we are his sheep and his sheep know his voice. You know his voice. If you believe anything else, it's a lie. You know, you know his voice and you just have to learn how to tune your ears into his voice. And as you do so, the other voices are going to fade out. You know, they're not going to even have an audience with you. They won't get your attention. Brothers and sisters, the voice of God is speaking to you even now. He is speaking to you, promise, destiny, life, and joy. He's saying to you, you can do it. The battle is mine. You have the victory. Don't be discouraged, but be encouraged. Amen. Let's pray. Um, You know, I was talking about the voice of familiarity and how the opposition can come from those closest to you. But here in New Philadelphia, we really want to see people being encouraged. We want to see people being built up, truth being spoken over you, destiny being spoken over you. And so here in this family, it's not the voices that will oppose you, but voices that will push you forward into your destiny. And I feel like there, there has been some of you who have been just struggling and battling these voices and you just need to hear a voice of encouragement you just need to hear from somebody the truth like david did from the armies that he turned to you know you just need to have somebody just hear you out and so you know if you have been struggling with these different voices opposing you i just want you to stand up from where you are you don't need to come up to the front but just stand up from where you are.